In September 1939, I was in the fourth grade at Irving Elementary School at Muskogee, Oklahoma. And from that point on, every week, we read the news, we discussed what was going on in the world, and how it might apply to us. It was in that month that Adolf Hitler and the Nazi troops invaded Poland. And we pondered, what could that mean for the rest of us and the rest of the world? But it quickly became very apparent. Shortly thereafter, he invaded the low countries of Belgium and Netherlands and Luxembourg. And the reason he did that was that gave him easy access into France. And the German armies moved with force into France. And in June, Paris fell. He installed the Vichy government in Paris, which was to be neutral and yet supportive of Germany. And that left only Britain as the opponent in that part of Europe. And so he began to focus on Britain and then decided to attack Russia, which he also did. The attitude in America in those days was isolationism. We have the Atlantic on one side, the Pacific on the other. All that stuff is just happening over there. It doesn't involve us at all. The Japanese invaded China and did one of the worst things that have ever happened in the rape of Nanjing. If you ever seen pictures of all those bodies and the women that were raped, the horrible things the Japanese did to China. But all of that was just happening over there. And then December 7th, 1941, the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor. No longer was that just something over there, but we had to fight, and fight we did, <laughs> both in the European theater and the Pacific theater, and ultimately won. As I Read each week of what's happening to churches around America. In some places, it's horrible. California, Chicago, New York, Portland, laws passed against Christians doing what God has commanded us to do. But here in Oklahoma, not so. And we could just say, all that just happening over there. I don't believe it's going to stay that way very long. Sooner or later, the forces of Satan who have begun operating in the other parts of the United States would have their part here. When General Molina was coming against Barcelona, he said, I have four columns, one from the north, one from the south, one from the east, and one from the west. But there's also a fifth column. Those are my sympathizers inside the city, and when they, we attack, they will rise up and begin to undermine the defenses. 
I believe Satan's fifth column has already started to operate in Tulsa, Oklahoma. How horrible it is to see the compromises some denominations are making. United Methodist Church has gone so far that many churches are leaving and forming a whole another denomination. Same thing is true with the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. The fifth column is operating already beginning to destroy the purity of the body of Christ in this city. Thank God no inroads have been found here. And as long as we have this eldership, it will never happen here. But sooner or later, we're going to face the battle, I think, much as we have in the rest of the world. Therefore, this morning, I believe God would have me bring the message, prepare for battle. Paul wrote that we should put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the devil and the evil day. In 1 Peter 4.1, Peter said, Therefore, since Christ is shoved in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Now, the Greek word for a fully equipped soldier is panoplia. When you saw a soldier in full armor, ready to fight, he had on the panoplia. And it's interesting that Peter uses the verbal form of that word when he says, arm yourselves. But that is the very word where Paul used when he said, put on the full armor, put on the panoplia of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Let me read this passage for you from Ephesians 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor, the panoply of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. That's the panoplia and in the end 
Paul speaks about what we can do aggressively. But initially notice it's all defensive. Stand firm. Hold your ground. Don't give an inch to the enemy. And here's the armor that you put on. It's interesting to me that the first one he describes is the belt of truth. Stand therefore having girded your loins with truth. Now the loins is from the top of the waist to the bottom of the ribs. My loins are expanding. I don't know what to do about it, but it's just the way life goes, I guess, when you get into your 90s. But stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Now, if you look at any statue of a Greek soldier, or you look at any drawing of a Greek soldier from those ancient times, you will not see that belt. Isn't that interesting that that's the one Paul starts with, yet it's unseen? The soldiers of that era wore something similar to a Scottish kilt and then a bit of a tunic. And then they had a belt that held that all together, but the breastplate on the backside had two hasps through which that belt went and held that breastplate in place. If it weren't for that, when he swung his sword, that breastplate would be a trouble. So the belt, belt, primarily essential for that soldier to be who and what he needs to be in battle. And so it's also interesting that for us, Paul said, the first thing is, be sure you have the belt of truth. My, what a challenge that is for much of our world today. Remember Descartes wrote, man is the measure of all things. A lot of people mouth that today. Don't know who said it. <laughs> Here's some people saying, your truth is truth, my truth is my truth. There's no any real truth. But I'll tell you what, there is a real truth. <laughs> and it's in the Holy Scriptures. Last Monday, the elders had breakfast with Ray and Denise, and they were telling us about the Yazidi religion. It's really quite syncretistic. It has elements of the Islam faith. It has elements of Hinduism. It has elements of Judaism, elements of Christianity. One strange thing is you don't ever want to get wet on Wednesday, so don't take a bath or don't swim on Wednesday. Where did that come from? Well, that's what's been handed down to us. Oral tradition passed down. And Ray said, we have a book. <laughs> we have a book. You remember when Alfredo and Sarah on Wednesday night were talking about their ministry. And Alfredo talked about this one young man that asked a question. And Alfredo said, well, let's see what God says. What do you mean, let's see what God says? Alfredo pulled out, you have a Bible? <laughs> I'll tell you what. Aren't we fortunate today to have Bibles? When Paul was writing to the Ephesians, they didn't have Bibles. They had the Old Testament. You know, and when Paul writing to Timothy, he said all, our versions say all scriptures given by revelation of God. Uh, there is really in the Greek, just says all writing is given by inspiration of God. We said, does that mean Aristotle, everybody else? No, look a few verses early. The sacred scriptures you have known from your childhood. It's the Old Testament that they had. So they had the Old Testament. But when Paul wrote this, John had not yet written his gospel. Book of Revelation hadn't been written. 
Luke may have, Matthew and Mark probably, but these are just individual documents. How wonderful you and I have this 39 old and 27 new, and anybody who doesn't have it, it's just because you don't have it. It's available everywhere. Thank God for Scripture. And so when we face issues that the church has to face, when we face issues that we have to face individually, the first place we go is to the belt of truth, the foundation upon which everything else is held together. Gird your loins or your waistline with truth. And then having on the breastplate of righteousness. That refers to right living. Remember the scripture says, don't give place to the devil. Literally, the Greek says, don't give the devil a place. Topos, don't give him a place. When we come to the Lord's Supper, we examine ourselves before we partake. And one very worthy thing to do in that examination is, oh God, is there any place in my life where the devil can stand and say, this is my territory? Is there any addiction? Is my need to be respected governing everything I do? Is there any place in my life where the devil can stand and say, I claim this is my territory? It's important that we regularly examine our lives because it's so subtle, so very, very subtle. It can be things that most of the world would say, well, so what? But the difference is God isn't ruler in that area. It's a place the devil has. And then having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Notice, be prepared. Recall what the angels sang the night of Jesus' birth. Peace on earth <laughs> and goodwill to men. Jesus Christ said to the apostles as he was not far from the cross, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And when we read the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, long-suffering, and peace. Peace. Remember the Apostle Paul wrote, live as much as in you is, in that strange language, as much as in you is, live at peace with all men. If we have the gospel of Jesus in our heart, if we have the Holy Spirit in our heart, one of the fruits of that is peace. Now I want you to notice that Paul is not saying put on running shoes. <laughs> He's talking about standing, standing, having the right foundation that allows you to stand and be firm. And one important element of that is to have that gospel of peace filling our hearts that prepares us for what needs to take place. And then, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all of the flaming missiles 
of the evil one. It's interesting to read about this particular period in history and the kind of shields that were used. Spartans, of all things, had a tightly woven wicker shield, <laughs> so tightly woven that it could stand a, a sword, but wicker. But a very common shield that was used was the aspis. Now, an aspis is a round shield, and it had a grip on one side and a leather strap you ran your heart through, and you could move that shield around. You could even use it as a weapon if you wanted to against the enemy. But that's not the word Paul uses here. He uses thurios. Now, thurios originally referred to a large stone, and at night when you closed your door, you closed it, and then you put a thurios against it so an outsider couldn't push the door open. They couldn't get past the thurios. But in time, the Greeks began to develop a very large shield. Originally it was old at top, old at the bottom, but as big as a man, and finally evolved into really a rectangular shield, just looked like a door, <laughs> big enough to hide behind. And they also practiced the phalanx. A phalanx is when two soldiers stand close together, interlocking their shields, and so there would be a wall that these soldiers created with their shield. Behind them, there would be a row of spearmen, and they would have long spears that would stick out over the shoulders of those holding the thurios. And then behind them, the archers who could launch arrows across toward the enemy. Think of that. Isn't that a picture of how we as Christians can come together to stand together and defend one another? The thurios. What is our thurios? Faith. Now, the Greek word we translate as faith is pistos. Pistos has two ideas, belief and trust. Belief and trust. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So on and so on. Belief and trust. That thurios was made out of wood, covered with leather, and sometimes, not always, but sometimes before they went into battle, they would drench that leather with water. So if the enemy put an arrow in the tallow and set it on fire and fired it at them, when it hit that water-drenched leather, it would be extinguished. That's the figure that Paul looks here. Put on, take up the shield of faith, the thurios, whereby we can quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Oh, one thing we really need to pray about. Oh, God, enlarge my faith. Oh, Lord, deepen my faith. Oh, Lord, give me that sense of trust that every time Satan tries to bring doubt against me, it will be like a fiery dart against my thurios, my shield of faith. 
and then take up the spirit, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, there are two Greek words that we translate as word. One is logos. Logos has to do with that absolute body of truth. Even Christ himself was called the Logos. In the beginning was the Logos. The Logos was with God. The Logos was God. Same as in the beginning with the Logos. All things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. The Logos. But the other word is Rema. Ro, Eta, Mu, Alpha. Rema. Aspirate sound at the beginning. Rema has to do more with a specific truth, sometimes the idea of a communicated or spoken word. And so whenever I encounter certain battles, certain conditions in the battle, and I turn to God, he may reveal a passage of scripture to me, this is the one whereby you can fight the enemy today. And I'll tell you, it's so wonderful the way the Lord responds to our prayers and brings forth Orema each time we cry out. But of course, that's why we need each other, isn't it? Sometimes we can help each other hear and, and, and recognize that Orema that the Lord provides. So far, notice everything he has had has been stand firm. Don't give an inch. Stand firm. But then he closes with what really is on the offensive. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance, petition for the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me for the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness and mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in claims. Then proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You know, prayer is... One mystery to me about prayer is Paul was going out to do exactly what God wanted him to do. He was going in obedience... And therefore, we'd believe God was going to empower him to do it. Since an obedience is going forth, why do we need to pray for him? <laughs> Don't ask me, but we do. Bob and others are leading these prayer walks we have now. That's an action of offensive. We're going into the neighborhood and prayerfully starting to attack the enemy in the heavenlies through prayer. Very, very important. And that's what Paul urged upon us. My brother, my sister, I have no idea what you're facing. I know what I'm facing. So many directions I look and am battled with the enemy. But I'm thankful that I can put on the panoplia, the full armor of Christ. And I can stand firm. And where God instructs me, I can move forward aggressively. If not, I will stand and not be moved. May that be true of all of us. May God's blessing rest upon you.